Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 220, Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. And Shaq, the biggest heavyweight fight since Junior Dos Santos versus Cain Velasquez is going down this Saturday in Boston. Francis Ngannou is on the verge of becoming a rock star in the game. I mean, if he wins this fight, holy shit, I mean, he would have basically took over the world in that short amount of time. And I mean, what he's done is incredible. Stipe Miocic currently is the baddest man on the planet, man. Knocked out Fabricio, knocked out over him. The guy's a, a solid champion, and uh, the winner of this fight is going to be a legend. Man, this is such an incredible matchup. It reminds me of when Connor was about to fight Jose Aldo. It reminds me of when John Jones was about to fight Shogun. That matchup where someone's on the verge of becoming a superstar, and we're going to find out firsthand if it's going to happen or not, because as you know, inside the octagon, the truth always comes out, Shaq. 100%, man. Um, no matter what happens, long term, the truth always comes out. And speaking of long term, with the truth always coming out, we actually happened to take an L for the first event of 2018. And I mean, you'll never see, you'll never hear me sit here and make excuses. You know, even though I do feel like we got backdoored on that Faria decision, it is what it is. Those kinds of things happen in the sport. And it's funny because you take one L and then all of a sudden, you know, the fact that we won six of seven events doesn't matter. The fact that I'm 3-0 and on uh, years doesn't matter. The, you know what I'm saying? All that matters is, oh, I took one L, now I suck. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Well, yeah, you know you know how this game is in the sports world. You're only as good as your last fight. You're only as good as, you know, the last game or whatever. And took an L last week, um, lost our first three bets on, uh, who was it, um, Alex White, Faria, and uh, Danielle Taylor, you know, sometimes you lose. And when you get beat, you get beat. And there's no excuses. And that's why we uh, come back after L's on a consistent basis. I mean, that's why I have a three-year track record because th this is part of the game. No one has a 100% hit rate, and it's kind of funny. You recommend a two-unit play, and then you see someone taking your play, and then they put five units on it. They put seven units on it. If I say it's a two-unit play, that means a two-unit play, Shaq. That doesn't mean a five-unit play. That doesn't mean a ten-unit play. That means two units. I mean, look, long-term, discipline, money management equals long-term results, and uh, that's what we're trying to do here. And enough about the past, man, because I'm already over it. Let's get right down to business for UFC 220, man, because, look, it's time to make some money, man. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? And you know what time of the year it is? It's, uh, it might be max bet season. It is max bet season. But let's do this whole card from start to finish. Let's do this for the fans, man, because look, it's going down in Boston. They gave us a stack card. Let's not even beat around the bush. First fight of the night, we got Islam Mahashev. He's minus 250, and the returning Glayson Tebow is plus 210. Now, it's an interesting matchup, Shaq, because... A lot of people are under the impression that Islam Mahashev is just going to come out here and roll over Glayson Tebow. They're under that impression because Glayson's coming off a USADA suspension. He hasn't been in, you know, in the sport in about two, three years. But one thing they fail to remember is this kid has, or this kid, this young adult has about a what a ninety-two percent takedown defense. So uh, let's just put it this way: Khabib couldn't take him down. Now that being said, is his body going to look significantly differently? significantly different to where now he does start getting taken down that that's what i'm wondering here Shaq. you know matter of fact both of them have uh, been having some little usada issues in the past 
uh, my boy Islam got flagged by USADA as well. But like you said before, uh, it's a matter if the USADA... This is where the USADA suspensions uh, matter. Like with Guido Canetti last week. But, you know, when Islam gets popped, it doesn't really matter because he's a young kid. Just like when Mateus pops, it doesn't really matter. He's a young kid. So this is where it matters. Um, Glayson Tebow's got a 92% takedown offense. Uh, Islam's big bro, his best friend, his role model. Khabib couldn't even take the guy down. A fight where, in my opinion, I thought Gleason won. I haven't seen it in a while, but live, I was disgusted. I, I thought Gleason won that fight handedly. Um, Khabib, uh, his shots were pushed off easily just because Gleason's that strong in the tie-ups, man. We've seen Gleason for years beat people in those tie-up exchanges, man. And, you know, when he fights the Tony Ferguson's of the world or the... Uh, you know, the young, up-and-hungry guy, which Islam is, but you got to remember what Islam's style is. Islam's style is a guy that likes to throw himself in grappling exchanges and just rely on winning that. You know, when you're fighting Chris Wade and when you're fighting, you know, an old older Nick Lentz who likes to go for a lot of guillotines, <clears throat> then you'll be successful. But I don't think Glayson's going to do that. Do those things. I think this fight's going to be a lot closer than the line indicates. I am taking Islam Makachev by decision, but I think it's going to be a close decision. But... Um, good luck to all those people that bet Islam. I think he scrapes it out, but don't be shocked. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, it's just so many questions about the form that T-Bow is going to return in. I mean, is he going to be in shape? Is he going to be having some love handles? Is he going to be looking soft? Is he going to be a different guy than we're used to? Because the guy that we're used to, man, yeah, that's a brick house. You ain't just... One does not simply take down Glayson Tebow, and another thing we always used to talk about is how the fuck does this guy make 155 pounds? But now, you know, with the new uh, with the new sanctions going on, maybe he will make 55 a little easier this time. I'm gonna go with Islam just because he's been the more active guy, he's the fresher guy, he's the younger guy. But man, it could get very hairy. It could be a very intriguing fight, but. I truly believe that even if Islam can't take him down, I, I think he can outstrike him. He's got that very patient Russian style that one thing we can agree on, Shaq, those Russians win fights long term. And I think that trend will continue here. I got Islam Makhachev. Now next up in the featherweight division, we got Enrique El Fuerte Barzola. He's minus 235, and the comeback on Matt Bissett is plus 195. Now, Shaq, I know Matt Bissett's a newcomer, but this kid's been in the game a very long time, and now he's taking on one of our favorite prospects in Enrique Barzola. Which way are you leaning? Man, Enrique Barzola really impressed me his last fight against uh, Gabriel Benitez. Kid's got a solid overall game, likes to mix in the strikes with the takedowns, and, I mean, he's a Peruvian warrior. This guy won tough at lightweight. You know, he's dropped down to featherweight, and he's still a small featherweight. I mean, he's a bantamweight, if we're being honest. And, you know, besides, he's a, he's that tough guy that's paid his dues on the local scene. It kind of reminds me of, like, a similar scenario with Mike Santiago, like a guy that's been fighting on the local scene for years. But not a jobber and, like Santiago. Yeah, but similar records, you know what I'm saying? Twenty-two and seven. He's been knocked out on the local. Oh season. my bad, you're talking about Bassett. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, I thought you were talking about Barzola. My no, bad, no, no, my no. bad. But yeah, Barzola's well, ultimate fighter winner. But um, the the fact that what he did to Gabriel Benitez, and we just saw what Gabriel did in his last fight. I mean, he schooled Gabriel Benitez, and Gabriel showed up for that fight. I think uh, this is just a case of Barzola being a uh, better fighter. I think Bassett's a tough guy, likes to bang, stand in the pocket, and I just don't think uh, Barzola's looking to play that game. I see Barzola looking to stand on the outside, look pretty, and take him down when it's necessary, even though he is the smaller guy, but the smaller, the more experienced guy in the UFC and the better guy, Barzola will win this in my opinion. 
I got a ton of respect for Matt Bissett. I mean, the dude is one of the most mentally strong guys I've ever seen. I mean, he he overcame, he fucking beat cancer. You know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of badass we're dealing with. I got the utmost respect for him. And I remember when he beat Diego Nunes uh, back in the day when Diego got cut from the UFC. He makes his Bellator debut and, you know, all the lights are on him, all the attention. And Matt Bissett goes in there and spoils the plans. And the kids had a bunch of good wins uh, besides that. He knocked out Nick Piedmont. You know what I'm saying? He's been in there with a bunch of dudes. But... I think right now, Barzola's on a different level, man. Barzola is one of these dudes that he knows how to win a fight in every single facet. He can outstrike you. If he needs to mix up the takedowns, he can mix up the takedowns. And he's, uh, you know, I want to call him a stealer, but he's not just a stealer. He can establish dominance at the beginning of each round. But if things do happen to get a little hairy, he can steal the round with those takedowns. Now, we're not going to talk about uh, that Bochniak decision. I mean, you know, if you watch that fight, you know who won, and that's the bottom line. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, he's 3-0 and in the UFC. And uh, even though he's in Boston this time, which is, uh, you know, his uh, former opponent, Bochniak's hometown, I don't think Bissett's from Boston. I, I think uh, I think uh, is going to be fine here. I think he's going to take a decision. And don't be surprised if uh, he gets his first UFC finish either. I know... Bissett's a super tough guy, but he's coming off a devastating knockout loss against Kurt Hullabo. So we got to see how he recovers. And it wasn't that long ago, my man. It was less than six months ago. So, you know, but uh, I'm really happy Matt Bissett got the call. I'm happy to see him in the UFC. The kids paid his dues, but I'm going Barzola by unanimous decision here. Potentially a late finish. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Julio Arce. He's minus 150, and the comeback on Dan Ige is plus 130. Now, man, I got to say, both these dudes impressed me big time on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender, but I got to know right here, right now, on Half the Battle Shack, which guy impressed you more? Man, um, Arce put on a great show. You know, Peter Petty's is one of those athletic specimens that can do anything physically inside the cage. And, I mean, I liked how Arce dealt with it. Um, his only two losses in his career to Brian Kelleher, you know, who's about to fight Henan Burrell. And, you know, those were his third and fourth fights in his career. And he's won every fight since. He's trained with Shane Burgos. He trains with Jimmy Rivera. He's been in that environment his whole career. Um, Dan Ige really impressed me. We, we just saw what uh, Luis Gomez did in his last fight. And Ige put that kid in his place. So Ige's a very well-rounded fighter. I've been hearing a lot of good things out of uh, out of him. Uh, I hear he trains at uh, Extreme Couture. He's, he is Hawaiian. We do know what type of spirit those Hawaiians bring. They showed it time after time. But, um... I'm going to go with Dan Ige in the upset here, man. I just think that he'll be able to capitalize on, you know, some little openings that I feel like RCO presents. I feel like RCO might like to early, it might be a little bit of a slow starter, and I feel like he might like to take a little uh, damage early, but he's got solid boxing. You know what those Tiger Showman guys are about. It's a fight I'm going to just sit back and enjoy. May the better man win, but both guys uh, ha did impress me, but I'm going to take Ige. Yeah, let's just put it this way. Uh, Tiger Showman... Uh Ain't giving Julio Arce the Jimmy Rivera or Shane Burgos treatment. I'll tell you that. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of like you see, uh, you know, Weidman's the star pupil and Volante's the punching bag. And I'm not necessarily going to sit here and call Julio Arce a punching bag because the kid is serious. I mean, you saw that performance. But like I said, he he ain't the, the star pupil. He ain't the Jimmy Rivera or the Shane Burgos of that camp. All right, Shaq? But, uh, you know, as far as this matchup's concerned, man, Dan Ige impressed me so much his last fight. I mean, his scrambling ability. It's one thing to go out there and show your grappling dominance. It's another thing to go out there and show your grappling dominance against a guy like Luis Gomez who, as you know, he's got two highlight reel knockouts of uh, – 
basically, what exactly is that move? I mean, he, like, arm throws these dudes, and they <laughs> face plant, you know what I'm saying, man? And he, he does it to legit, dude. He knocked out Sodiq Yusuf. One does not simply do that. I was like, damn. And Dan Ige made it look easy against that guy. Dan Ige absolutely schooled him. So what I really remember about Julio Arce's performance on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender was Peter Pettis was getting the better of him in that first round. But as you and I both know, Shaq, and, you know, we've known about Peter Pettis for a long time. He trains with people we know. You know, he's got all the physical capabilities in the world. In the world, He's got all the talent, but it's always been a mental thing with Peter Pettis. I mean, some of his coaches have told me that firsthand, man. You know, that's why they weren't too surprised that, you know, he kind of quit a little bit in that fight. You know someone that's not going to quit after uh, things go well? Dan Ige, I mean, no Hawaiians quit. Even Kylan Kern doesn't quit. She just sucks at fighting. But Dan <laughs> Ige, Dan Ige is fucking good. And I think on the mat, he's going to have a significant advantage. But look, this kid Julio Arce can box, like you said, Tiger Shulman's. Even if he is Jimmy Rivera's punching bag, the kid can still punch. And, uh, you know, if a Dan Ige tries to test his stand-up, not that, he can't, not that he can't throw himself, just saying he's going to give himself less of a chance to win. So I think he's got to take this to the mat, out-scramble the kid, out-work him. I'm going with Dan Ige here for the upset as well, my man. Oh, here we go. Flyweight division. One of our favorite prospects, Alexandre Pantoja. He's minus 135. And the comeback on the vet, Dustin Ortiz, is plus 115. Now, man, we've been seeing this kid, Dustin Ortiz, fight for years. I mean, you remember when he fought John Moraga in Atlanta. We sat next to his dad during that very controversial decision. And uh, he's come a long way. You know, he's been in there with the best. He's had mixed results. He's... The definition of a top 15 gatekeeper. And now Pantoja's got that chance, man. I mean, are we going to enter that top 10 or not? Man, this is a great fight. It's actually one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most. Alexandre, the cannibal. I mean, that guy comes to fight. In terms of fighting guys like men, he, he does that. But there's a difference between, you know, being one of my favorite fighters and to being somebody that I bet on. Now, look, not saying that I, I actually think Pantoja will win this fight. Um, the thing is, Pantoja presents a lot of openings. He presents a lot of uh, vulnerabilities in, on losing on points. He likes to go for a lot of guillotines. He likes to jump a lot of guillotines. He likes to stand in the pocket and trade and rely on his toughness. Sometimes that works, and eventually it's not going to work. One of these days, somebody's going to put him in his place, and he's probably going to get knocked the fuck out. But, you know, here I don't think it's going to happen because I think that Dustin Ortiz is the definition of a 500 fighter. Hot, cold, hot, cold, you know. That was an impressive KO win over Hector Sandoval, but Sandoval. I mean, Hector's uh, five feet tall. Now we're checking <laughs> on a five foot eight Brazilian who, you know, you know what I'm saying? saying, is experienced as you fuck. Know, number one seed on tough. The guy's jujitsu is absolutely disgusting. The only thing is, he likes to play off his back a lot. We saw him lose on tough by going for guillotines against the Jap uh, Okabu or whatever his name is, and you know those t those things. So Dustin Ortiz can avoid those hold positions, stay on top, seal off points, and steal the rounds. And if they have a little scrambling back and forth fest like we've seen Dustin Ortiz have in the past with Ray Borg and a lot of these other guys, then it's a fifty fifty fight. But on the feet. I think Pantoja can win this fight just by being more aggressive, by being the guy always going for it. You know how Pantoja is. He, he likes to wave you in. He likes to say, come on, motherfucker. And, you know, he can win that fight by being excited, making the crowd go ooh and ah. But if Ortiz can capitalize on the openings, because there are openings with Pantoja, then it's like it's a 50-50 fight. But I'm going to take Pantoja by a close decision, actually. I'm going to say 29-28, possibly a split. But uh, I'm going to go with Pantoja. Man, such a good fight. 
And uh, I really hope Pantoja gets it done, you know, because look, man, you remember when he was on the Ultimate Fighter. I mean, a lot of people might have forgot, but this kid tapped out Brandon Moreno. He didn't just he, beat Brandon he beat Moreno. Moreno. He finished Brandon Moreno. And, and, you know, a lot of people are under the assumption that Moreno was winning that fight or... Moreno wasn't winning a fucking thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Moreno got his ass Pantoja beat. Pantoja drowned him from the opening bell, and that just shows you what he's capable of. And uh, look, MMA math don't mean shit, but Moreno absolutely destroyed uh, Dustin Ortiz. I was in attendance. I cashed that plus 160 on uh, Brandon Moreno in that spot. In this spot, it's interesting, man, because Pantoja can't play around with a guy like Dustin Ortiz. And the reason I say that, I don't mean play around on the feet because, oh, Dustin Ortiz got this big one-punch knockout power, even though he just did knock out that five-foot-one uh, little jobber. But still, man, still, man, what I'm trying to say here is that the one area I say that you, you got to be careful in is don't go to your back. Don't start trying to – don't jump guillotine on this guy. Don't try any of that shit because Dustin Ortiz is that guy that can just lay in your guard for the rest of the round and kill the clock. You know what I'm saying, man? And that's one thing you want to avoid if you're betting on Pantoja. You don't want to just be there and then be screaming, screaming <laughs> at your team. Winning these stand-up exchanges and then jump on a guillotine and then be like, oh, my God, Pantoja. You don't want <laughs> an Alex White-James Krause situation like we had last week where we had – Alex Wyatt is absolutely destroying Krauss on the feet, and then he gets taken down and can't get up. And we're like, oh, my God. Like, if these two were on the playground, you and I both know who won that fight. You know, which one of these two is going to the hospital, you and I both know. It's definitely not Alex Wyatt, right? But uh, it could be one of those situations where Pantoja absolutely bruises Dustin Ortiz, and then, you know, he does something dumb, goes for a flying armbar. he's an exciting fighter. He's not a fighter that you look to – just put it this way, I wouldn't – Unless it was just an easy fight and it was lying close, Pantoja is not the type of guy you can put 10 units on or, you know, because the guy likes to rely on his heart and toughness, man. And sometimes that doesn't always pan out. Yeah, so look, it'd be nice to see Pantoja come out here and use that veteran experience. Both are vets, by the way. But you know what I'm saying? Just edge him in every single facet of the game. But you have to watch out for that grind, man, because Ortiz... He's a very experienced, smart fighter that can win on points. Look, man, Ortiz had got wins over Ray Borg. He's got wins over Scoggins. He's got, you know, he's been in there with everyone, man. So you have to be super careful. I hope Pantoja goes out there and edges this one out. So I'm going to root for him. But be very careful betting this fight. Now, here we go. I'm very excited about this. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He's minus 210. The comeback on Saba, the jobber Homasi, is plus 175. Now, Shaq, last time this fight happened, we max bet Razak. We predicted a first-round knockout. And if you go out and look at the records, it is a first-round knockout. As far as I'm concerned, we knocked Saba Homasi out in the first round. Look, he can say whatever he wants about this and that, how Razak was folding. Look, Razak was on his way to winning that fight. If it was going to go one round, two rounds, or three rounds, one man was going to get his hand raised and one wasn't. Sabah Hamasi, like we said before the last time they fought, he's a tough guy. He can hit hard. Actually, when I say tough guy, I'm actually being nice when I say that. But, I mean, he hits hard. That's about it. I feel like Tough he, guy as in walking, punching Exactly. Bag. You know what I'm saying? He, he's down to bang. Just put it that way. You know what I'm saying? And if he wants to bang with Razak Al-Hassan again, I think Razak Al-Hassan is going to come out here a little more patient, be a little more, you know, calm. Take pick your shots, and I think he's gonna get him out of here cleanly this time. As far as there was only one sketchy moment in that fight, you know, I guess we did get a little rocked, and you know, we went to our back. But 
once we uh, butterflied him and got back up to our feet, make no mistake about it, Sabah Hamasi wanted his way out the fight. He went for a takedown, gave up his back, and we were in control ever since then. He knows what happened. He knows he went down to that uh, right hand. He says that he was going for a takedown, but at the end of the day... <laughs> Shaq, real quick. Since when, uh, when you shoot for a takedown, are you leaning backwards and to your right? <laughs> when you go for a takedown, you lean forward. Look, what really happened was... The exchange before that, he hit uh, Razak with the left hook. Razak proved his toughness, stayed in the pocket, and ate it. And, you know, they kept exchanging. And when he, when he realized that, got, that exchange was too real, he wanted a way out, and he got clipped on the way down. And that's it. I felt like Herb, uh, Herb Dean made a, a great decision, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my pick is Razak Al-Hassan by uh, first-round KO, even if this fight, you know, does go past the first round. I've seen him go three hard rounds with Omari Akhmedov and win the third round. I feel like he can get back to that style, being a little more patient, picking his shots, and I think that's the style he will get back to. Now he's had the opportunity to go back, go over the mistakes, and his coaches will correct the mistakes, and he still won worst-case scenario. His worst-case scenario happened the first fight, and he still won. So I'm confident uh, Rizaka Hassan gets a, a finish, but even if it goes three rounds. I mean, let's put it this way. Sabah Homasi already had his fluke moment, and he still couldn't win the fight. I mean, what else is there to say? So, let's say he has another fluke moment. I still don't think he's going to win the fight. He's not a guy that wins fights in the UFC. His last win was against a fucking 45-year-old Jorge Patino, man. This kid's been knocked out a million times. Like, he's not a UFC caliber fighter. He's a fucking male stripper, Shaq. After this... Look, he's got a sexy-ass girlfriend. After this, go back to your hot girlfriend. Go back to being a male stripper. I, thank you for the easy money against uh, Razak the first time. Thank you for the easy money against Tim Means the first time. And uh, enjoy Enjoy. Look, you get to tell people you fought in the UFC. Congrats, kid. You know what I'm saying, man? Remember when he was on Tough and he's like, one day me and Usman are going to meet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? Uh, the guy's completely delusional. After this fight, he'll go back to being a male stripper. Razak's going to go back to you know fighting very tough guys like Omari Akhmedov. And uh, Razak's going to knock him out in the first round. All you got to do is be a little bit more patient this time. Because, look, he was under the impression, this guy's such a jobber. I can just come out here and just get him out real quick. And, you know, in the UFC, no matter who it is, you have to be careful. This is still a fist fight on, on a Saturday night inside of a steel cage, man. The UFC's octagon. People are in the UFC for a reason, except for CM Punk. Well, he, CM Punk's in the UFC for a reason, too, but it's not his fighting, right? But, uh, look, Sabah got signed for a reason, man. I mean, he can crack, right? But he doesn't have what it takes to win fights in the UFC. And uh, I think he, it's just a persona like you and I were talking about all week. You know, he wants to tell people he's a UFC fighter, you know? Yeah, look, the kid got on TMZ because of it. The kid, he got to accomplish some things of it. You know, congratulations. Now it's just a matter of we have the skills, we have the heart, we want this more than him. We have aspirations of going further than him. He's just here for, like we said, he's a pro fighter. You know, he's a former male stripper. But none of that matters. All that matters is what happens in that cage and uh, Razak Hassan, first round knockout. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And real quick, I want to address this whole thing about, oh, Razak was gassing and Sabah was on his way to winning. Yeah. Sabah was not on his way to winning at all. Sabah had his one fluke moment, and guess what happened? He threw three big elbows at Razak. Razak butterfly swept him, got back up, and then Razak took control of the fight again. He, he took control of the whole fight from the beginning got caught, got back up, and took control again, and then finished him. And yes, if you watch that finishing clip, 
He, he finished him, Shaq. There, look, no I, it's not as controversial in my mind. It's only controversial because Sabah got up and started putting on a show and started being like, oh, what the fuck? But, bro, trying to act like you were shooting for a takedown, you weren't shooting for no takedown. I mean, since when does someone shoot for a takedown by going limp to the right side? Like, that's not shooting for a takedown. And even if you go back and you watch the post-fight interview, Sabah even admits, I got clipped, I went down, but I was still in it. So what are the first two things I said? I got clipped and I went down. It wasn't I was shooting for a takedown and Herb stopped the fight. No, no, it was I got clipped and I went down. So maybe he wasn't unconscious. Okay, let five more seconds go by. Let's land a couple follow-ups and he would have been unconscious. So I ain't worried about it at all. I, I got Razak Al-Hassan by first-round knockout just like I did a month ago, Shaq. Now next up in the UFC featherweight division. We got Brandon Davis, the newcomer. He's minus 125, and the comeback on Kyle Bochniak is plus 105. Yeah, I really like Davis's fight on uh, the Tuesday Night Contender Series um, against a guy who was like 15-2 and two or something like that. And, I mean, the kid, I see why he's Jason Knight's striking coach. He kind of reminds me of like a Mississippi version of uh, Zaleski in a way, the way he moves and the way he strikes. He likes to take shots, of course, which... You know, eventually one day isn't going to pan out well, just like it went for, for Zaleski. What about that kid, Matt Frivola? <laughs> uh, for Matt Frivola, you know what I'm saying? Look, like we you said. See my boy, boy Polo? Exactly. People were talking shit kid. that we picked Polo by KO. Yeah, you know, with these exciting fighters, look, it's fun. I guess it, it might be fun for now, but long term, they will get put on their ass. And, you know, uh, Bosniak, he's got a win over Barzola. He found a way to. Uh, Get the uh, get the judges to score it for him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but we all know who won that fight. But other than that, man, the guys had a tough road in the UFC. Charles Rosa for a debut is still a tough fight for a debut, being five and zero. Even though I thought he won that fight, they gave it to Rosa, and then you know the Barzola fight, and then his last fight with Jeremy Kennedy. I mean, I no shame in that at all. I mean, Jeremy Kennedy is one of the brightest prospects at 145. Jeremy Kennedy's about to fight Volkanovski in Perth. You know what I'm saying? And Jeremy Kennedy. It's a smother, and he's long. But uh, Brandon Davis, I think uh, he can win this fight if he uh, stays on the feet, picking his shots, being flashy, looking what we like to call cute, you know what I'm saying? Um, just leg kicks. I think he's got a significant advantage on the feet where Bosnia can capitalize is just being the veteran here, being the more experienced guy. Like we said, the kid does leave openings on the feet, and, you know, he might get caught and he might go down. But I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Davis here. I, th I just think he's too clean on the feet, but... Boshniak does have ways to win the fight. The kid uh, has lost decisions in the past before, actually recently, maybe like a year ago, by, you know, getting laid on, getting tied up against the fence. So Boshniak comes with a smart game plan, likes to kill a clock with the tie-ups, and I, I think he can win. It's a close fight. I'm going to sit back and enjoy it, but I got uh, Brandon Davis. And I'm going to go on the opposite side of you, man. Look, I agree with you. I think Brandon Davis is going to look like he won the fight. I think he's going to beat Bochniak up. But this fight's in Boston. Bochniak is from Boston. We know how these decisions go in Boston. I think that Brandon Davis is going to win the entire fight. And then they're going to raise uh, Kyle Bochniak's arm in a very, very controversial decision. So Bochniak's uh, UFC career is going to remain alive. And Brandon Davis will live the fight another day. I got Kyle Bochniak by controversial split decision. Now here we go. Main card. Holy fucking shit. Tomas Tominhas Almeida. He's minus 115. The comeback on Rob Font, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Hobby Fonch is minus 105. So, shit, man. I mean, this is... Anytime Tomas Almeida fights, 
I mean, betting, not betting. This is the kind of fight you call up your friends that don't watch UFC and you say, hey, check this out. This is going to be a real fight. Who you got, bro? Tommaso made his last fight against Jimmy Rivera was a war. I mean, he gained some stock, in my opinion. I bet on Jimmy Rivera in that fight. And, you know, whenever you fade Thomas, you know, deep down in your heart, you're just worried, oh, my God, <laughs> just uh, please don't knock us out. But Jimmy, you know, showed that he's a future world champion, and he prevailed that. And then uh, Rob Font, I mean, you know, Rob Font, I've had the suspicion ever since the Lineker fight that, not that he's scared of Brazilians because he did smash on uh, Douglas De Silva de Andrade. But, um, you know, maybe that the fight isn't in Brazil this time might help him out. But to be honest, I feel like this fight comes down to heart and will. And I think Thomas has more heart and will. I'll go ahead and say it. I think that Rob Font's best days are behind him. I think that he's a guy that's skilled offensively. But I feel like he's one. I have a suspicion, just a suspicion, like I had a suspicion of Misha Serkinov. I feel like he's one of those guys. If you put him in a bad spot, he'll freak out. And we saw what happened in the Pedro Munoz fight. He got hit with the left foot and put his hand up and got choked out. We saw what happened in the John Lineker fight. I mean, took one body shot and ran away. And and (laughs) there was times where he was pulling guard in that fight. Let's just be honest here. He, He pulled guard twice in that fight. I mean. I guess they were from body, body shots, but still. I'm just saying, I know Thomas Almeida wouldn't have pulled guard. I know Pedro <laughs> Munoz wouldn't have pulled guard. I know fucking Caraway wouldn't have pulled guard. I know Yuri and his pride. I know plenty of guys that wouldn't have done that, but hey, it is what it is. He had to take his first L. But he, that's just my suspicion. Like I said, I think if you put him in a bad spot, he'll find a way out. And I think Thomas Almeida will put him in a bad spot. Um Thomas, you know, the issue with Thomas is just the amount of damage he's taken, you know, in his career. The guy gets tagged. I mean, it is what it is, but when you're fighting Jimmy Rivera and Cody Garbrandt, the two best bantamweights in the world, or two of the best three bantamweights in the world, I mean, those things happen. So uh, I'm going to go with Thomas here. I think he's actually the more experienced, the guy that's faced the better competition. And uh, I think he's going to knock out Robbie Font in the second round. I absolutely love this fight, and I think it comes down to a couple things. As we know, with every single Tomas Almeida fight, he gets tagged up early. Those first two to three minutes, I mean, he's such a slow starter. He's going to eat a ton of shots. But after those first two to three minutes, if you start to slow down on a guy like Tomas Almeida, that's when he unloads on 30-punch combinations. That's when he looks like a video game character. That's when he looks like a future world champion. That's why he's so many people's favorite fighter. I mean... That's why he's a guy that's going to retire in the UFC. Tomas Almeida can lose four fights in a row, and they still won't cut him. You know what I'm saying? Because he comes to fight. He's a real fighter. You know, it's funny. You remember when uh, Dan Hardy fought Chris Lytle, and it was his fourth loss in a row? And, uh, you know, the media, you know how they like to ask those stupid fucking questions. So they were like, are you guys going to cut Dan Hardy after he just put on a fight of the night? And Lorenzo was like, How could I cut a guy like Dan Hardy who just came out here and fought his balls off? Well, now we're not dealing with fucking Dan Hardy. Now we're dealing with Tomas Almeida, who actually is a top 10 guy who puts on way better performances than Dan Hardy. You know what I'm saying? I was just bringing that up because that's the mentality the UFC have. If you come to fight, they're going to keep you around. Remember my boy Leonard Garcia? Lost five fights in a row. They Lewis still Smoker. kept him around. Louis, yeah, Louis Smolka, much respect. They keep these guys around because they come to fight. The difference here is that I don't think Tomas is some jobber that's going to lose a bunch in a row 
and you know, and then we're gonna be like, what happened? He's only lost two fights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm just saying the dude is super hittable in those first two to three right. minutes. But after those two first two two to three minutes, that's when Robbie Fonch is gonna start to slow down a little bit, and that's when Robbie's gonna wilt, man. Because look, Rob, if Robbie Fonch wants to win this fight, he has to knock out Tomas Almeida the in the first three minutes. <laughs> he has to. That's the only way he's gonna win this fight. I don't see him outpointing. Tomas to a decision. I don't see him tapping out Tomas with a guillotine like he did to Douglas Silva de Andrade. That shit ain't happening. Rob Font does not do good against Brazilians. Yeah, he beat to- uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade. Who gives a fuck? You know what I'm saying? That dude's, that dude's 80 years old. I'm talking about real Brazilians. <laughs> I'm talking about fucking John Lineker. I'm talking about Pedro- Pedrinho Munoz. You know, don't disrespect my boy Douglas like that. <laughs> He's 22 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> My boy Douglas has got a fucking boxing record. Just because he lost the final mean shit. Uh, <laughs> Cheeto Vera is about to teach him a lesson. Just uh, understand understand that right now, Shaq. But, uh, and look, when I'm saying real Brazilians, I don't mean that he wasn't born in Brazil. I'm being entertaining. I'm talking shit. I'm being funny. But what I really mean is when he fights... You know that Brazilian, and it's really not even about fighting a Brazilian or not fighting a Brazilian. It's about fighting someone with that pressure style that doesn't give a fuck what Rob Font throws. That'll eat his shots early on, and then after that, they'll be like, "Oh, so that's all you got? Now I'm gonna keep walking forward. Now I'm gonna start unloading on my thirty punch combinations, and now you're gonna wilt in your hometown." So, you know, and also uh, shout out to my boy Kyle. He let me know that. Uh, that Tomas has been doing some work at Phuket Top Team. And if you know about these results that Phuket Top Team has been doing for these dudes, I mean, you see my boy James Vick on that three-fight win streak, knocking out Joe Duffy, knocking out Polo Reyes, uh, ending Abel Trujillo's career. I mean, you saw Trujillo come out like a shell in that McDessie fight. Those are the kind of results you get at Phuket Top Team. Even my boy Jocko, I know lately those last two he, he dropped, but when he was at Phuket Top Team... You saw that fight he had against Talis Latis where he smashed him for three rounds. You saw that fight against the Barncat when he went out there as a plus 200 dog and knocked him out in 30 seconds. Those are the kind of results you get at Phuket Top Team. I really think they're going to sharpen up my boy Tomin Haas' defense early on in the fight. And look, we know the deal. Like I've been saying a hundred times, I almost sound like a broken record here. Rob Font is going to tag him up early. Make no mistake about it. But after uh, Tomas gauges that distance, Tomas is going to walk forward, and Rob does not do good on that back foot. We know that, Shaq. Rob does not like going backwards. Rob needs to be the aggressor. He don't like eating punches on the fence. Just put it that way. When Tomin has senses even a little bit, when those spidey senses start tingling and, uh, to- and uh, Robbie Fonch starts slowing down, that's when uh, he's going to get teed off on. It's going to be a beautiful highlight reel finish. And, and you know when Makako and Diego Lima are going Uva Mohair all week and searching angels down there trying to spook Robbie Font, then we'll see what he's really made of. Yeah, so <laughs> I think Tominhas is going to get the biggest win of his UFC career. He's going to bounce back from the incredible fight he had with Jimmy Rivera. I mean, that fight was absolutely fucking amazing. And Jimmy won that fight, by the way. I know a lot of people try to act like it was controversial. Look, I disagree with the 30-26 scorecard 100%. But uh, Jimmy definitely won that fight. But Tomin has proved, like, look, he is a top 10 guy. This ain't all hype. And uh, I think he's going he's gonna to paint a picture with the combinations he throws here. It's going to be beautiful destruction, like Cub Swanson says, except it's actually beautiful destruction. Not a bunch of sloppy shit like we see. You know what I'm saying? No disrespect to Cub. Much respect. But, uh... I think Tominas is about to put on a show here. So I got Tomas Almeida for the win. And I think it'll be inside the distance, Shaq. But if it goes three, it'll be very entertaining. However long it lasts, one minute or 15 minutes, it's going to be great to watch. I cannot wait. Now, they gave us Rob Font 
versus Tomas Almeida. And then they, you know why they put this uh, fucking Francie Marbajos versus Jean Vellante fight here? They're very smart. They know that Douglas Lima versus Rory McDonald is going to be happening at the same time. And, you know, so let's put on a shitty fight next so that we don't mind you guys tuning into Bellator. And then you'll come back for uh, the the featured bout between Calvin Cater and Shane Burgos. But but look, man, we got to talk about this shitty-ass fight between Jean Vellante. He's minus 170. The comeback on Francie Marbajos is plus 150. Now, uh, Jean Vellante is still in the UFC, my man. Look, Jean Vellante... You could say he sucks. He's done, you know. <laughs> He's a nice guy, but you know years of being, fuck. <laughs> years of Weidman's punching bag. You know, let's be honest here. His last one against uh, Sapperback, I mean, that was some of the ugliest shit I've ever seen. Getting outstruck by Pat Cummins, his last fight. Getting knocked out by Tom Lawler. Um, even his best performance against Corey Anderson. In hindsight, yeah, he was fucking him up with the low kicks, but on two cards, he was down two rounds. Even wait, wait, Shaq, you mean he knocked out the chinniest fighter in that division? (laughs) Uh, Congrats. You know what I'm saying? Took you long enough. (laughs) But Vellante, man, I think uh, the best days are behind that guy. I feel like he's taking too much damage. He's that type of guy that, you know, you might be teeing off on your opponent, and then boom, one right hook, out cold. You know what I'm saying? He's he's on that level now. But Hozo is one, uh, he's in that category of weasel and when you know uh our boy alejandro perez now he's not on that level of weasel he's one of these guys that you know really don't like to fight you know he he is smart on you know trying to get dqs and you know he's (laughs) he's uh trying to find ways to not fight and you know possibly get a point deducted or you know he's on that level you know what i'm saying but those guys are very dangerous to fight especially at this stage in john Vellante's career because bojozo is going to be doing some very sneaky stuff to try to spook him he's not going to be engaging he's going to be standing on the outside but then when Vellante comes in bojozo is going to swing a big straight left or a big overhand and i think he's probably going to knock uh Vellante out i'm gonna go ahead and say it. i think bojozo is going to win the fight like i said i think Vellante is completely done um but you know you can't get emotional in this spot because bozo's a a pussy or he doesn't fight or you know this and that because that's his game he wants you to he wants you to look at a uh, cajun johnson and adriano for example you know what i'm saying look how cajun spooked adriano in that adriano was supposed to come in here and fucking run through him but cajun was just doing weird things on the outside avoiding the avoiding fight, the fight <laughs> getting adriano frustrated and i think bojozo is going to do the same thing i think bojozo is not going to fight Valencia is going to get frustrated and do something stupid and get caught look in the tom Lawler fight uh Valente was landing the harder shots but what was the one thing that kept happening in the first round he kept getting hit with the right hook you think he would go in there and make the adjustments for the second round and what does he come out and do he gets knocked out (laughs) (laughs) so that's what i said he's on that level this last loss was just uh, you know it is what it is i can't rely on either guy but i'm gonna take bohozo and i'm gonna actually say bye i'm gonna say bohozo by win i can't go out and say finish but i'm gonna say win I got Bojozo as well, man. I think Volante absolutely sucks. I don't think he's got any business in the UFC anymore. I think his best days are behind him. But I'll tell you what, you know, let's let's say a couple nice things, right? Shaq, go back and watch his fight versus Chad Griggs in Strike Force. Unbelievable one round war. I, I fucking love that fight. But the dude's taken way too much damage inside the octagon. He's been Chris Weidman's punching back for so many years. I mean, you know, when you talk about CTE, uh, you know, they definitely got to do some tests on Volante because that dude drools in his interviews. You know what I'm saying, man? It's kind of hard to listen to him talk, man. You can hear the saliva, bro. Like, so, uh, 
you know, he's going to be trying to swing some big bombs. And even these days, man, he doesn't even swing anymore. He's gun shy. Like, he's just a shot fighter. And Bajoso, he's the light heavyweight weasel, man. I know he's tapped out to, to submissions that aren't even locked in. I know he's quit from a headbutt before. But the bottom line you is... got to put him in that spot first. He's got a winning record in the UFC. And this ain't Krilov he's fighting. Alexander Rackage. This ain't fucking Alexander Rackage, <laughs> who's a K-1 striker. You know what I'm saying? And he ate those shots good. He, he landed some shots of his own. I think he's going to circle around the ring do absolutely nothing and then lunge in with a big overhand a big shot pin him up against the fence kill clock do those weasel tactics and take home this decision and you know Volante is probably gonna feel like what the fuck i won man you know and you know but between every, you and me, every weasel has its spot and uh it's gonna get exploited yeah you know so i, I definitely uh got francie marbajos here for for the little upset so he's gonna he's gonna weasel Volante. now here we go now now I'm excited, man, because this fucking fight right here, the featured bout, Calvin Cater versus Shane Burgos, oh my god. Shane Burgos, he's minus 190, the comeback on Calvin Cater is plus 165. The only thing I'm surprised about is the line being so wide, man. I, I thought it was going to be a pick em, but uh, what are you thinking? I'm surprised because, you know, when you got two, when you got a guy, especially and Shane Burgos' stage of the career, you got a lot of... Uh, hype train people. You got a lot of guys that are buying the hype. The guy that thinks he's a future title challenger or, you know, a future champion. And that's what happens. And Qatar, you know, only one fight in the UFC. But, I mean, the show that he put on against Philly was beautiful. I mean, he shut down Philly in every aspect, took him down, beat him on the feet. I mean, let's just be honest here. Philly's not the same guy because of that fight. And he lost a tooth in that fight. And, you know, now he's, 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 uh, I'm not going to say that, but, you know, he's, those exchanges with him and Artem in a few of those spots were getting very, very sketchy. There's a reason <laughs> he resorted to his exactly. wrestling. <laughs> you know, I know he dropped him with the head kick, but there's a reason why uh, Connor said what he said. <laughs> and, uh, what was I saying? Um, oh, yeah, but Qatar, man, um, as far as the fight goes, I think Burgos is a guy that has a belief that if you stand in the pocket with him, that you're going to lose. That if you stand in the pocket with him, that he's going to drop you, that he's going to knock you out. The thing is, I think Qatar can go inside the pocket with him and be calm when he eats the shot. These guys like Trator and Pepe and Charles Rosa, they're not as calm and composed and reacting to the shots a guy on the level of calvin Qatar. i honestly thought the second 10 minutes uh, not 10 minutes but a minute into that fight with philly i was like holy shit calvin Qatar is top 15 he's a he's a he's the real deal because the guy had a 16 and 2 pro record and you know a couple people like you you were saying this guy's the real deal i saw him fight on access tv and he was the real deal but you know he was plus 330 against philly and we all passed and you know, I just think he's going to be able to uh, capitalize on Shane's sloppiness and spurts. You know, Shane so like a guy that likes to prove that he can eat a shot here and there. You know, in the Rosa fight, <clears throat> Rosa had a belief that he was up too. And, you know, initially I thought he was fucking crazy. He wasn't up too. But then when I rewatched it the other day, he might have been up two rounds for real. And that was because that Burgos kept on playing around. You know, his coaches were getting on him saying, Shane, like, fight the kid right. Like, Stop playing around with the kid. And, you know, eventually he did not come out, so props to him. But I just think Calvin Qatar is going to mean business from the opening bell. Not saying that Burgos isn't, but I think that, uh, like I said, Qatar is going to capitalize, land a straight right, and let Burgos know that the games that he's been playing his first three UFC fights will not get past, will not get you uh, past me. And I think Qatar is going to win the decision 30-27. Um, I don't think he's going to go down. I think that – I actually think that even though Qatar – 
is nicknamed the Boston Finisher. I love he wins it. All, I love he it. Wins all his fights by decision. I feel like that's a quality you like to have. You know what I'm saying? You know, let me <laughs> let me just address that real quick because you know to guys like us, we fucking love that. Like his nickname is the Boston Finisher, and he wins by decision. But to everyone else, you know, these fans that can't um, distinguish betting from being a fan, they're all like, "Well, they calls himself the Boston Finisher, but he doesn't finish fights." Well, you know that's good if you're trying to bet on someone. I love people that win decisions, man. You know what I'm saying? I can't always be relying on some knockout, you know. It's where Burr goes when he goes three rounds. It's in these fights against these weasel Brazilians that are flopping to their backs, and you already know what you have to do to prepare. Hit him one good time, and he'll start flopping or uh, or Trator, and you know he'll stop. Uh, he'll start flopping to his back, and I'll tell you right now, Calvin Qatar will not be flopping to his back, and I think he will get his second UFC win and prove to everyone that he's a real uh, serious contender at 145. Yeah, 100%. Look, Calvin Cater is absolutely the real deal. He entered the UFC with a 16-2 and record. You don't often see guys coming in with that kind of experience. And look, Shane Burgos is the real deal, too. I think Shane Burgos is amazing, man. And... I love what he's been able to do uh, in his three UFC performances. He puts on absolute clinics against these guys, but there's a couple things he does that isn't going to work here. You know, when you're going against some post-USADA Brazilians like Tiago Trator and Pepe, or you're fighting a punching bag like Charles Rosa, you can get away with fighting with your hands down because there's no threat from those guys. If you fight a guy like Calvin Cater with your hands down, I mean, you're going to eat a straight right down the middle, and whether it floors you or not is a different story, but... I mean, bottom line is, that's how you score points against a guy like Burgos, man. And, you know, people are saying to me, oh, do you really think Burgos is going to fight Cater with his hands down? Well, it's like, well, have you seen Burgos fight? That's how he fights. You know, it's like it's like saying, is Anderson going to fight with his hands down? Yes, that's how he fights. So, what, all of a sudden, Burgos is going to change his style? Yeah, he's going to bring certain tactics to the table. But his style is fighting with his hands down because he's so confident in his head movement. He's so confident in his counter uh boxing abilities and he truly believes like you said Shaq that no one can beat him in the pocket but I think this is a guy in Calvin Cater that can beat him in the pocket and not only that Shaq Calvin Cater is well-rounded man Calvin Cater doesn't just need a you know box with you man I mean the dude can take you down too he's got the full well-rounded mixed martial arts package he's 17 and 2 for a reason and I you know what we always say it's always first L time I think this is first L time for Shane Burgos now look if I'm wrong and uh and uh, Shane Burgos comes out here and takes care of Biz, then hey, man, you know what I'm saying? Bottom line, the winner of this fight, I, th I think even the loser of this fight, I think both these guys are top 15 guys, but I think the winner of this fight might be a future world champion. I'm going to go as far as saying that, Shaq, because I see that kind of potential in a guy like Calvin Cater. I see that kind of potential in a guy like Shane Burgos. Now it's about rising to the occasion, finding out who the better man is, and I think that the fact that Calvin Cater is you know, slightly crisper. I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, he's more technical and this and that bullshit. It's just not, it's not even about that. It's just that he's not going to play around in a situation like this, you know, and uh, he's going to capitalize on the fact that Burgos fights with his hands down and I think he's going to outpoint Burgos to a close decision. But it's going to be a close decision, but it's going to be a decision where you know who the real winner is. But again, man, both these guys are incredible. Both these guys hit like trucks. Both these guys are well-rounded. So it's not going to surprise me to see it go either way because I have that much respect for both guys. I think they're both top 15 guys right now without even having beaten a top 15 guy, either one of them. I think they're top 15 talents right now. I'm going with Calvin Cater by decision. Co-main event of the evening. The champ, 
Daniel DC Cormier's minus 325 and the comeback on Vulcan, no time Uzdemir, is plus 295. Now, this is an interesting one as well, man. You know, Vulcan, man, I mean, talk about coming out of nowhere and just been knocking everyone the fuck out, man. And now DC's coming off a knockout loss. I know DC wants another crack. You think that, uh, you think DC is going to get back on a win streak here? Or you think that there's about to be a new champion in the light heavyweight division? It's, uh, it's tough to say because we know, we pretty much know the deal here. If you're betting on Vulcan, you're hoping on a punch. You're hoping, please knock him out in the first round because we know if this fight hits second, third, fourth, and fifth, that's when the tie ups start happening. That's when the, the grinding, that's when, you know, then it becomes a war of attrition, and that's where we're not sure what Vulcan has. Now, we've seen him in there with OSP in a three-round fight. That's a three-round fight, but that's OSP. That's not DC. DC's only losses are to John Jones. And, you know, like I said, it's a it's a hit or miss. You're you're hoping on a punch, but, I mean, I would not sleep on a guy like Vulcan, Ozdemir, man, because even though it's light heavyweight, and, yeah, like I said about Misha Serkinov, but at the time, Misha Serkinov was the number one prospect in the light heavyweight division. He Volkan Ozdemir was plus 300-something against that guy, and no one was giving him a chance to win. And then Manuwa's coming in thinking the title shot's already his. Everyone's thinking, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. His Volkan's ride stops here. Manuwa will put him in his place And how long did it take him? To 22 seconds. 22 seconds. So this is not, he's got that type of power. And I don't think any of the issues going on in his personal, lives, in his personal life matters. None no, of that no. matters. I think it's just a matter of if Cormier's last fight against John Jones, where he did get knocked out, if that has lingering effects on him in this spot, because in terms of power punching, Volkan Ozdemir puts guys down quick. So it's a matter of landing that punch early. And if he can do it for five rounds, props to him. I'm not confident that he can. But um, I'm going to go with the upset, man. I'm going I'm to I'm take a Volkan Ozdemir. You know, I'm a, I'm a, it's more of a rooting for Volkan Ozdemir just because – I want to see the light heavyweight division get away from the Cormiers, man. We need a new champ. I like Cormier. I mean, the guy's only losses are to John Jones. He's undefeated besides that. So I have the utmost respect for Cormier, um, his toughness, and the fact that, he, you know, he shows up for work and he and he, he wins. He wins fights. So um, I'm going to go with Volcan by first-round KO in no time. Man, that would be super cool to see, man, just because Volcan, he's such an unlikely dude to come out here and become a world champion and – That'd be incredible, and man, he's been knocking everyone the fuck out in under a minute, which is absolutely crazy. And real dudes, too, and he went the distance with OSP on a week short notice. So, I know people like to bring up that Kelly Anunson fight. Look, it was first L time, and he's made big improvements since, and I guarantee you he's addressed a lot of things since that fight. If you think that it's going to be that easy for DC to grind him, I think you got another thing coming. But that being said, man, we did see him start to slow down in that Ovince fight. Now, you can say oh short notice or you can say look this is a problem that Vulcan has if he can't get you out of there early he will start to gas out and if there's one guy you don't want to gas out against is Daniel Cormier because not only is he going to pick you up and slam you to the mat but you get back up he's going to pick you up and slam you to the mat again he's going to rinse and repeat he's going to absolutely grind you he's going to drown you but you know Vulcan was uh, Rumble Johnson's main uh, sparring partner for a very long time like make no mistake Volcan is not just some jobber. This isn't just to fill up a card or this or that. This is a real dude that's got serious knockout power. 
And we know Daniel has been rocked many times. Not just the John Jones fight where he got knocked the fuck out, you know, a couple months ago. What about the uh, what about the Gustafsson fight where Gustafsson dropped him with that knee and really hurt him badly? What about the first Rumble fight where Rumble dropped him? What about the Anderson Silva fight where Anderson landed a big body kick? What about the motherfucking Frank Mir fight where Frank Mir was getting off on some body kicks in that third round? I know people forgot about that, but that was a real thing. Frank Mir was hurting him with body kicks at the end of that third round. But all that being said. I really don't feel like I've seen enough from Volkan to believe that if he doesn't knock him out, that he's going to be able to last in a three-round fight. Or excuse me, a five-round fight. This is a title fight. You know, because whenever I think about the light heavyweight division, I always think John Jones is the champ. And between you and me, he is. But motherfucker uh, st- stabbed himself in the toe one too many times. He's got to get his shit together. My boy Johnny Bones better be... Uh, yeah, he's never gonna come back, unfortunately. But I hope he gets his shit together because he's so great to watch, man. I mean, he's such an—he's the best fighter I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen a fighter better than Johnny Bones Jones. But that being said, man, I, I think it's gonna be and still. I, I think Daniel Cormier is gonna come out here and defend his belt. It's just you know, if he gets hit with one of those back of the ear shots early on, don't be surprised because not that Dan's chinny or anything like that, but. At that weight class, at 205 pounds, it's not about being chinny. You know, four-ounce gloves, you get hit on the chin by one of those guys. You get hit on the temple by one of those guys, and it's going to be good night, Irene. So if Volkan comes out here and he's able to land the one big shot and knock him out, he will be your new champion. But, you know, when I'm betting or when I'm picking and when I'm thinking about these fights, I can't just rely on a knockout. I got to think what happens if it, you know, if it turns into a real fight where both guys are giving it everything they got. And in that scenario... I do think Daniel Cormier is going to prevail, man. So I'm going to go with and new, excuse me, and still. But uh, as a fan, just because I, I love upsets, I love underdogs, it would be cool to see Volcan come out here and dethrone the champ. But I, I think my boy Daniel is going to represent the Daniels well and, and keep that belt. All right, man. No more... No more Mr. Nice Guy. Here we go. Main event of the evening. Francis Ngannou. He's minus 175. The comeback on the champion. Stipe Miocic is plus 165. Now, Shaq, it's not often you see a champion at plus 165 dog odds. Now, I know that's tempting for many. I know people think that Stipe is being disrespected here. But uh, what's your opinion? Um, You know, I think that it's lying like that for a reason. I mean, the guy put Overeem down and with barely no effort, and I mean, you know, it's pretty much sold. I mean, if you oh, stand up... Hold on, sorry to interrupt. He didn't just put over him down. He fucking decapitated over yeah, him. Yeah, he knocked him the fuck out. And, you know, the fact that Overeem didn't do anything to him before was very impressive because generally Overeem drops Stipe Miocic twice. Generally, Overeem, you know, styles on Fabricio or... Uh, all these guys that he fights, and the fact that he didn't do anything to Ngannou, the second they tied up, it was like a complete strength difference. And uh, I, I believe Stipe and Overeem got the same weight. And it's just, if you are confident that Stipe can stand in the pocket with that motherfucker and not go down, then that's one thing. But like we know, this is a five-round fight. Um, I am going to go with Francis Ngannou to... Be the new heavyweight champion. Be the new superstar of the UFC. Be the new baddest man on the planet. But as far as a betting perspective, um, you know, if this is a five-round fight, if the fight happens to get into the late rounds, you know, have we seen enough of Ngannou to ensure that he can deal with a more slower-paced fight, a more grimier type of fight? 
I don't know. We haven't seen it. All the fights end in the first round, and that's a good thing because you want guys that come out here and handle business quick and put the fear in guys and put uh, put their opponents out of here. But if he doesn't put Stipe out of here, there's just so many unknowns about Ngannou still. I know that he knocked out over him. I know that I picked over him. But at the end of the day, the questions are still unknown. As where Stipe, he really doesn't have any questions. We know what type of guy he is. He likes to capitalize in chaos. I mean, the guy is like a... He's the heavyweight champion of the world. He, Yeah, he's very open to eat shots. I mean, he gets rocked in just about every single fight. And, you know, he has a belief that it's heavyweight, you know. He, he just thinks that it's heavyweight. <laughs> you get hit in, that on, in heavyweight and, shit, you know, shit gets crazy. And, you know, from a betting perspective, that's that would be your only thing in the back of your mind. Like, fuck, this is a heavyweight fight. Like, one punch and anything could fucking change. And that's why, why you know, I'm sitting back and enjoying this one right now. And, uh... You know, I'm going to go with Nganu. I still have questions about the just the intangibles in this game. That's my only that's my only concern left with him. I mean, I know on the feet he puts down anyone. He's too big. He's too scary. It's just the intangibles now at this point in terms of this winning this fight because we know Stipe's got all the intangibles. We know Stipe's experience, even if he hasn't been in the second or third round lately, the fact that the guy's been in many second and third, fourth rounds, in the past, I mean, he's got that experience, and Ganu doesn't. We've seen him in more situations where he's had to come back from adversity and win fights. We haven't seen Ganu done that, so it's just a matter if Ganu puts him down or not. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't basically say it's waiting on a punch, but when you, when you're talking about Francis, because that's a fucking, it's not waiting on a punch. It's that's waiting on a fucking punch. You and know, miss <laughs> that's a fucking sledgehammer to the fucking school so when i say waiting it's a on a ford punch, escort yeah. <laughs> when i say waiting on a punch francis and gannon waiting on a punch is in a a different category than everyone else waiting on a punch when i say that so um i'm gonna go with francis though this reminds me of when conor mcgregor fought jose aldo this reminds me of when johnny bones jones fought mauricio shogun Hua. you know a lot of people were like, oh, you're disrespecting the champ, and how could you count out the great Shogun? How could you count out the great Jose Aldo? And it's like, look, no disrespect to those guys. They were incredible champions, and so was Stipe Miocic, but it's time for a new era, man, and uh, it, and it is that time, man. I think Francis Ngannou is going to come out here. I think he's going to launch Stipe into the fifth dimension, man. And, you know, people like to talk about, oh, we don't know what will happen if uh, Ngannou goes past the first or this or that. Oh, let, let me let me ask you guys something. What happened the last couple times that Stipe Miocic went the five-round distance? Okay, let's talk about that real quick. One time against five foot ten Mark Hunt, who we know can't wrestle to save his life, who we know is a fucking... 12 and 11 fighter. He's a 500 fighter, basically. And that was a one-sided fight. So, yeah, of course, Stipe's cardio looked amazing. But let's talk about the one time Stipe did have a back-and-forth fight that went five rounds. That first Sigano fight, what the fuck happened? It was Stipe that was gassing out in that fight. It was Stipe that was getting dropped in the third round. It was Stipe that couldn't win in the championship rounds and therefore couldn't seal off the deal. So, don't sit here and give me any bullshit about, oh, Stipe's this cardio machine or this or that. I don't fucking buy that for a goddamn second. I think Stipe is an incredible champion, but one thing I've always said about him, he reminds me of the Bisbing of heavyweight. I've always thought he was like the Bisbing of heavyweight. You know, he's got that volume style and, you know, he he gets rocked early in all of his fights and then he comes back, but you don't get rocked early against Ngannou and come back. You know, you can get rocked early against Overeem and come back. You can get rocked early against, you know, these other guys he's been fighting and come back, you know, because all these guys he's been fighting 
are they're incredible heavyweights. They're in the names of the heavyweight division. Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, Andre Arlovsky, Mark Hunt. But those are the old timers. That's a past generation. That's not the new generation. You know, Now he's fighting an athlete unlike anything he's ever fought before. And yes, I am buying the hype. Yes, I am on board the hype train because I think this is the real fucking deal. I think people, you know, people say Ngannou's overrated. I disagree. I think he's underrated. I'll say why. Look, he went in there with Curtis Blades in his second UFC fight. Curtis Blades is a guy, he was an NJCAA champion. He went 44-0 as a senior in wrestling. And what happened when those takedown attempts came? Well, Francis stuffed most most of them, and the one time he did get taken down, he immediately popped back up. He was in side control bottom, and he found a way back up to his feet in his second fight. This is before they flew him out to the UFC Performance Institute to groom him to be the new heavyweight champion. This is before, you know... He was in Vegas, man. I mean, he was in France doing that kind of shit against those caliber wrestlers, man. And now he gets the chance. He's had six fights in the UFC, finished all six of them. Now he gets to go against the champ. And like I said, man, Stipe gets rocked every single fight early on. And he's going to get rocked early on here, except, uh, you know, his head's going to fly into the 10th row this time, man. And, you know, people uh, only like to talk about Ngannou's power. They don't like to talk about his distance. They don't like to talk about his footwork. The guy is an absolute freak. And the reason he has that kind of power is because, I mean, the dude was fucking digging sand when he was goddamn five years old. He was a child laborer, Shaq. That's where his strength comes from. He's a super fucking human, man. You've never seen anything like him before in your life. So... I really think he's going to come out here and absolutely destroy Stipe. I'm completely on board the hype train, man. I, I think this is the real deal. Just like I had all the respect in the world for Jose Aldo, I still thought Conor McGregor was going to knock him out. Just like I had all the respect in the world for Shogun Hua, I still thought John Jones was just simply a different level athlete. And I think that's what we see here with Francis Ngannou, man. And... Look, uh, you know, if Stipe tries to get his single leg here, first of all, look, man, I think it's going to get stopped. I think it's going to get shook. But if he does get Ngannou down, I don't think that's going to be the end of the fight. People are acting like one takedown and the fight's over. I disagree. I think Ngannou's got a good get-up game, man. I think Ngannou knows what he's doing. He knows how to swim for underhooks. He knows how to get. He knows how to push the head down. He knows how to get back up to his feet. He's a very good fighter. And let's talk about his one his one L because he did take a loss in his second professional fight. And I, I watched it and uh, this is what happened in that fight. So, you know, obviously he didn't have any wrestling at that point, but so he got out wrestled the first two rounds. Now it comes down to what's his heart like, you know, what's his will to win like he fucking comes out there that third round. He bombs on that dude that laid on him the first two rounds. So Ngannou's heart is not in question for me whatsoever. Now I know people like to talk about, Oh, the first 10 seconds of the blades fight, he got rocked by a jab. Fucking blades is a 265 pound, uh, not Division One, but he's a very uh, high-level athlete, man. Someone like that touches you straight on the chin. Yeah, you might feel it a little bit. And I'm sure if Stipe lands a haymaker on his chin, I'm sure Ngannou will feel that too. But the difference is there's one thing between feeling a punch and there's another thing between getting knocked the fuck out by a punch. And I think that's what's going to be the difference here. I think, yeah, Stipe, I, I'm sure Ngannou will feel Stipe's punches. But, you know, Stipe won't feel them. Stipe will be up looking at the lights, and uh, he's going to come back. And this might be a hot take to many, Shaq, 
But I think that Francis Ngannou is a more versatile fighter than Stipe Miocic. Stipe has never won a fight via submission before. Yeah, he won via submission to leg kicks, but I'm talking about an actual jiu-jitsu submission. You saw that Kimura that Francis hit on Anthony Hamilton. Yeah, I know Anthony Hamilton, you know, Bumbleton. I know he's a jobber and this and that, but it's not just about the fact that he beat that guy. It's about the technique he displayed when he beat that guy. That was some uh, Vinny Magalies shit. That's why he's been training with Vinny Magalies. That's why a guy like Vinny Magalies said... Francis Ngannou is the strongest guy I've ever grappled with. That's some high praise right there, my friend. And I think Stipe's been having a lot of back problems. That's why he's been looking really stiff. You know, it's funny. I see a lot of people that faded Stipe against Junior Dos Santos. Like, the second time, man. You know what I'm saying? They were thinking that fucking old-ass Junior after all those cane wars was going to go out there and beat him. But now they're not convincing Ngannou will. I'm like, dude, what, what the hell is wrong with you guys, man? This is the spot. Where Ngannou is going to become a superstar. I'm all in. And uh, and new and Ganu. Is there anything else I got to say about that, Shaq? Well, now let's hit up uh, Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is the seven times DraftKings qualifier himself. I'm talking about Kyle Marley. Kyle, how's it going, man? Good, man. I'm ready to watch some big guys throw down this weekend and make some money on it. Look, let's not even beat around the bush. The main event of the evening, the heavyweight title fight. I heard we're on opposite sides of this one. I always got respect for someone taking the dog. Uh, how come? Uh, so, so you're not buying the Francis and Ganu hype, huh? Oh uh, no, that's not true at all. Uh, I think he is going to be the champion one day. Uh, I just don't think his time is yet. I think this will be a learning experience, and he'll come back from it and probably be a champion, whether he beats Miosic in the future or somebody else. But I'm going to go with the dog in this one. Um, I got a hedge on DraftKings, though. Ngannou's just too scary to completely fade. Because uh, if I have Miosic in all my lineups and he gets knocked out in the first round, my night's over. So I'm going to have to have a couple Ngannou lineups in tournaments. I think this fight's stackable in cash. But yeah, I'm going to go with Miosic. Uh, got a one-unit bet at plus 170. If it gets more than that, I'll throw another unit on as well. But yeah, I think Miosic wins this uh, in a late stoppage. So there's a reason you only got one unit on the line, right? Yeah, I mean, it was more, I, I, I just couldn't believe that the champ is this big of a dog. Um, if Ngannou, if the line was flipped, I would bet Ngannou. So co-main event of the evening, I mean, look, it's pretty uh, simple on paper before the fight actually happens. I'm thinking first round, Volcan KO. If it goes past the first round, Daniel's going to grind him out. You see it that way as well? Um, I think... DC all day. Uh, again, I gotta have at least one, maybe two hedge lineups with with Volcan, and I think you can stack this one in cash as well. But I think this is DC all day. I got a lot of money on DC right now, um, and he's gonna be in a lot of my lineups. Uh, I think he's just gonna take him into deep water and drown him, uh, and I think the hype's gonna end right after that. But ninety-two hundred dollars on DraftKings, he's your most expensive fighter. That's the only problem I have with it. I don't think he's a lock by any means. Because he's the highest price, it will have to probably score more points than anybody else. But I think he has a really good shot at doing that. I think it's just going to be a takedown wrestling clinic. Uh, I like DC a lot, and I have a good amount of money on him. My favorite fight on the card, Calvin Cater versus Shane Burgos. I mean, these two are potential top 10 guys. I think the winner of this fight is going to make a huge statement. I'm going with the underdog personally. I mean, the kid came into the UFC with a 16-2 and record, put on an absolute clinic. I wouldn't count out a guy like Shane Burgos. I'm going Cater. How do you see this one? Uh, I think uh, Burgos is definitely he's my pick. I bet him at, I think, minus 135. 
Uh, and I was just shocked that the line was that low. I thought I, uh, he would be closer to a minus 200, and that's almost where it is now. Um, but, yeah, he's my pick. I don't know if I'm even going to have any hedge lineups with Cater. He scored 77 and a half last time on DraftKings and a somewhat dominant performance. I just don't see him doing that to Burgos. Uh, I think Burgos is legit future title contender. I like watching him fight, and uh, I got him winning here. I said that was my favorite fight of the night, and I might have lied because uh, Tomas Almeida is taking on Rob Font. I mean, I think we know the deal here. Tomas does get hit early, but once he starts to find his range, once he start, if you start to slow down on Tomas Almeida, you already know the deal, man. So you think he's about to swarm uh, Rob Font here? I do, yeah. I think this is fight of the night as well. Can't wait for this one. Um, and yeah, another bet I got Almeida. I can't believe he's this low against Font. I know Font's in his hometown, um, so he's got that going for him, and he could knock out Almeida early. Because he's very hittable. I just think Almeida's too much for him. Um, and I see him getting a uh, first, second round stoppage. But this, I, I don't know if I want to fade Funk completely because of that first round stoppage ability that he has. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll have a, a Funk lineup or two. But if you think Funk's going to win, then he should definitely be in your lineup. Because I think he definitely outscores his $8,000 value if he wins. But I'm going with Almeida. I don't necessarily think Rob Font's going to win, but I do think uh, Razak Al-Hassan's going to win again. I think it's going to be a first-round knockout, just like last time. I don't care if there's controversy or not. I still think he's going to stop him in the first round. And I had him in my DraftKings lineup last time. He took care of biz for me. I'm going to have him in my lineup this time. I expect him to take care of biz for me. Now, I know you like to play contrarian sometimes. Are you going to be that guy that plays Sabaho Masi here? You know, I'm not sure how contrarian that will be this time. Uh, last time they fought, I had zero Hamasi, and I had a good amount of money on Alassane, and I was I was getting worried, man, so I was glad that it was stopped early, to tell you the truth, because I don't know how that would have went if it kept going. Um, so, for that reason, I might have to have a Hamasi player, too, but I'm still on Alassane. I think he'll just be a little bit more patient this time, and put him away, uh, maybe even second round. But Alassane, I think, is just a better fighter everywhere. So he's my pick. I uh, just hope he doesn't gas out. So uh, if you think he is going to gas out, Homasi's only 7,200. He doesn't do, have to do a whole lot. Uh, just getting a win will put you at the top of some tournaments. So I don't hate that play on DraftKings, but my pick's Alisson. Look, a really interesting fight is Islam Makhachev versus Gleison Tebow because obviously Tebow's coming off the USADA suspension. But if you watch this fight with Khabib, I mean, if Khabib can't take this down, if Khabib can't take this guy down, then why is uh, Islam Makhachev going to take this guy down? But at the same time, we don't know what his physique looks like. So, are you banking on uh, Gleison to come out here looking soft and just get taken down uh, repeatedly for like the first time in his career? No, I don't know about uh, repeated. I do think he might come looking soft, um, and my pick is Makachev. But I think this could be uh, a boring stand-up fight that he just gets the best of them there. I am interested in seeing how he looks on the scales. I mean, he's getting old, and he's got over 50 fights. I feel like he's one of those guys who we've thought been on the roids all, all his career, uh, and then he finally gets popped. So looking forward to seeing how he looks. I think he is going to be an older, weaker, slower version of himself. Uh, and Makashev is a beast, so I think he might make the takedown in there uh, or two in there if he can. Um, but if he can't get him, then I think he can still get the better of him on the feet. Uh, he's my pick. I don't know how much of this fight on 
either side I really want in DraftKings up until I see him on the scales. And before I let you go, man, I know Enrique Barzola is a little sneaky dude that can mix in takedowns. I know Pantoja versus Ortiz is a great fight. Out of those three fighters, I mean, anyone uh, stands out that can make a lot of the big lineups? Um, yeah, me. I kind of like the dog in both of them. I got to watch a little bit more, uh, more of the set, but I'm not really sold on Barzola, so I don't know if I want to pay up for him or not. But I do love the takedowns he brings, so he's definitely in play for that reason on DraftKings. I just got to finish my work on that fight. But uh, Ortiz and uh, Pantoja, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be a fun fight. Um, and then I think I was originally on Pantoja, and then recently I've just kind of been switching my mind. I looked at the odds recently, and it's getting close to pick them. So I might have to take the value there on Ortiz and throw him in some lineups. Uh, but I do like Pantoja as well. I think it's going to be an exciting one. This is one where you want both guys uh, if you're making multiple lineups. But I'll take Ortiz if I'm making a big there. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. We always appreciate the hard-hitting analysis, my man. Uh, the fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Kyle, any message for them before we speak next week? That's it, man. Good luck. Uh, enjoy the fights. Hopefully nobody dies in that heavy man fight. I know, right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we're going to be looking out for, man. I can't wait. Uh, man, best heavyweight fight in a very long time. I I'll say that much. Maybe even since the boxing days. Or, or if you're going to talk UFC since uh, – JDS versus Kane one on Fox. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, we're, we're about to find out if the hype is real. If he does beat Miocic, man, I don't. See, I don't really see anybody beating him if he if he can do that in the first round again. He's just so big and scary. But I think uh, now's his time to take that L and learn from it and come back to be a future champ. We're about to find out. I can't wait, Kyle. Thanks again, brother. We'll speak next week. All right, man. Good luck. We'll see you, man. And Shaq, that's once again. Not only why Kyle is the DraftKings guy for half the battle, but that's why he's a seven times UFC qualifier for DraftKings. That's why they fly this guy out to the headquarters. That's why this guy's bringing in multiple sevens every single year, Shaq. He ain't bringing in multiple sevens like Kyle, man. And uh, that's why we got him on the show. He's the best DraftKings expert out there. And uh, that's why he's a three-time world champion. That's right. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 220? Man, uh, my fight to watch is going to be Rob Font versus Thomas Almeida because I think the loser of this fight, I feel like their top five, top ten aspirations are over now. I feel like the loser of this fight takes a big fucking step back. A step back that he probably ain't going to, you know, survive from. There's a lot of sharks coming up at Bantamweight, you know what I'm saying? So I think the winner of this fight moves right back up into title contention and the loser, it's probably over for So that's my... Uh, Fight to watch. I think Thomas needs this win badly, and Fon definitely needs this win badly. Man, I can't disagree with you on that. I mean, Tominhas Almeida versus Robbie Funch. I mean, how can that not be your fight to watch? But since it was your fight to watch, my fight to watch is Calvin Cater versus Shane Burgos. Like I already said in my breakdown, two future top 10 guys. The winner could be a future world champion. Unbelievable matchup here. I cannot wait to see who comes out with the win, man. It's going to be super competitive while it lasts. And if someone happens to run away with it and put on a clinic, then watch the fuck out because one doesn't simply run through Calvin Cater or Shane Burgos. They both are unbelievable, incredible fighters. Two of my favorite prospects at featherweight. I cannot wait. That is your fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 220? Now, you know, we did talk about Francis possibly becoming a fucking legend superstar overnight. Let's talk about Volkan Ostemir if he wins this fight. He's my fighter to watch because, I mean, if he wins against Cormier, 
he would have fucking become UFC champion in a year. He would have took out the number five guy in the world in his debut, beat the number one prospect uh, in his second fight, and beat the guy that was about to get a title shot in his third fight, and then beat the champion Cormier. I mean, that's a that's a as impressive as a streak as it can possibly get. So he's my fighter to watch if he wins. He's an instant legend. Two hundred and five. We know uh, John Jones' situation. We don't know what that is, and then he can fight Gustafson if he wins, you know, and give Gustafson that little European ass with him. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's a lot of people that think, like, Gus would absolutely smoke him, you know what I'm saying? People are still under the impression that Gus (laughs) is a future world champion. (laughs) They don't get it. But, um, you know, that's my fighter to watch, and I'm interested to see if he is and new. Yeah, obviously going to be tuning in for that co-main event, no doubt. But look, man, you know, sorry to be Mr. Obvious here, but... The fighter to watch is 100% Francis Ngannou. I mean, this is, he has a chance here to not only be, you know, the first heavyweight champion in a while where people really give a shit because, you know, I, I feel bad for Stipe. The guy has an incredible story. He's a firefighter. He's a heavyweight champion. He didn't quit his job. Unbelievable dude. Much respect. All the respect in the world for Stipe. But Francis Ngannou, man, if you talk about, we need a superstar in our sport right now. Connor's gone. Ronda quit the sport and covers her face everywhere she goes. You know, fucking John Jones you know, can't can't put the white down. You know what I'm saying? So now we need a new champion that is going to take that sport to the next level, especially in this new era with these new fucking bosses. And, you know, they got all these ties in L.A. in the entertainment industry. If Francis Ngannou can come out here and not just beat Stipe, but, you know, launch him into the fifth dimension like I think he's going to, I mean, bro, he will be the face of the UFC. And... You know, you don't just talk about his improvements in his fighting. Let's talk about his improvements in his English. The dude could barely speak English when he made his UFC debut two years ago. Now he speaks fluently. The guy, when he puts the kind of effort that he does into his fighting skills into all other areas, I mean, there's a reason he's going to become the superstar that I believe he's going to become. And uh, Francis Ngannou is your fighter to watch, man. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 220, UFC Boston. I cannot wait, man. And, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want our bets for, for this fight, make sure you go to bestfightpicks.com, go to maxbetseason.com. I have a max bet for UFC 220, and uh, I'm very confident in it. We also have another big play as well on the card. And not to mention that uh, we got something uh, cooking up for Bellator as well, right? Because I heard that Rory McDonald is challenging him for the title. He's taking on Douglas Lima, and the undercard is incredible too. Michael Chandler versus Goiti Yamauchi, Corrales versus uh, Karakanian. Very good card, and uh, we got a lot of things coming up, don't we, Shaq? Yeah, man, it's a very uh, busy weekend. I suggest everyone get down on those packages. You know, we did take a L last week, but we know this is a long-term game. We lost one of 50 <coughs> events. Uh, we, we must suck, Shaq. You know, so that generally doesn't happen, and uh, I can almost guarantee that we come through with the win this weekend. Um, Capertech is TSM Genius. Bet uh, MMA Tips is Shaq BFP. Follow me, MMA Genius 05. Um, follow our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. You can reach us on there. We'll respond back to any messages. Um, and let's get the job done this weekend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com, maxbetseason.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back next week for uh, UFC Charlotte. And also, we're going to put out a little special Bellator podcast for all y'all because you know that Rory versus Douglas is an incredible fight. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.